But let me start with a little story about the farm animals. And they were all talking about how wonderful the farmer was and really appreciate the farmer and, you know, what he did for them, feeding them and looking after them. So they decided they wanted to make him feel special by preparing a wonderful breakfast for him. So the cow said, look, I can help out. I can give some fresh milk. You know, I'll make sure there's a good lot tomorrow, nice and creamy, you know, the stuff that we don't get. So he really appreciates that. And and the chicken said, well, that's fantastic. You know what? I'll lay some beautiful fresh eggs. I'll make sure there's a whole lot of them so he can have fresh eggs to go with his nice milk and his coffee. And the lamb said, well, look, you know, I've got this nice woolly coat. I'll tell you what, we'll get it nicely shorn off and put over the chair so it's nice and soft and comfortable. And they're all feeling great about their, their contributions. And they turned around and looked at the pig. And the pig said, well, hold on, not so fast. For you, it is just a contribution. But for me, well, you know, it's total commitment. And the Lord brought that story back to me, and we use it in leadership training, we use that one there, that, you know, people give a bit and they give a bit, but there are people like, you know, if you have a business and you're an employee in a business, then you make a contribution. But if you're the owner of the business, it's a total commitment. And we talk about stepping up in leadership when we do this training in this area, and and we talk about, are you just contributing what is excess to you? Or have you bought in? Have you made a total commitment? And we've been talking for the last year or two about stepping into heaven and, and engaging heaven and about governing. And, and as we were talking with the board this week and about this year and talking about launching hubs, and you know what I mean when I talk about hubs? We're talking about basically services that we run throughout the week. What we're doing on the Tuesday night um, as an extension of what we're doing here, and now I'm off my notes, but we'll get back there. It's all right. Because I really feel like I just want to cast some vision and I want to I wanna push some boundaries because it's really easy for us to get comfortable, isn't it? And to be in that contribution. You know what? I gave a little bit of money, so I'm okay. You know, I did a bit of this and that, so that's all right. But God never actually asked us to make a contribution. He asked us to make a commitment. Jesus didn't come and make a contribution. He didn't say, you know what, here's a few healings, here's a couple of miracles, I bless you, I bless you, okay, I'm going back home now. He came and made a total, absolute commitment. He gave everything he could give for us. And the amazing thing is he actually asked that of us. And it's a journey. I understand it's a journey. You know, when we, when we come to Jesus to be saved, we, we come because we're aware of our sin, we're aware of all the, the problems in us and the things in us. And so we come and we receive salvation and we receive Jesus as our saviour Because we're sick of carrying the guilt and the shame and the sin and all that goes with that. And and He redeems us because He is our Redeemer. And we love it. We're set free from our sin and we celebrate. And we're a bit like Paul. You know, when Paul first got saved and he starts preaching, he says, you know what? You got all the apostles, but I'm the apostle of apostles. 
And he starts out saying, you know what? You've got all your apostles, but I've walked with Jesus. I've, I've known Jesus. And he elevates himself. And then you read a bit further on with Paul, and all of a sudden his tone has changed. And he calls himself a bondservant. And a bondservant is not just a servant. A bondservant is a servant that has said to its master, you know what? I may be able to work off my debt. I may be able to work to a position where I can be free, but I actually choose not to be free for the rest of my entire life. I commit myself to being your servant. I become a bond servant. So they actually lay down their whole life to be a servant to their master. And what they would do is they would take them and they would get a, like a punch and they would stick a punch and take out a chunk of their ear. So they were marked for life. Everybody could look at them and see that they were a bond servant that could actually never be free. That they were tied forever to their master. It was a big decision, but they had to make it of their free will. And that's what Paul says. He says, forget what I said it before, I'm a bond servant of Christ. I have no rights except Jesus. And we get really good at taking Jesus as our Savior. I don't know how we go with taking Jesus as our Lord. Because you see, when you take Jesus as your Lord, you become a bondservant to him. And it gets uncomfortable. Because what it says is, everything I have is mine. We go from making a contribution of, oh, I may serve a little bit here and do that there, and you know, I may give a little bit of money here, and you know, I'll spend time with Jesus if I have time in the morning and I don't wake up too late, and you know, got to catch the train, the bus, the car, whatever it is, and oh, I better get into work, and oh, gee, oh, now it's the end of the day and I'm tired, and oh, maybe I'll oh, fall asleep. It's too late, you know. Oh, there's a great movie on. Oh, gee, that cricket game's on. Oh, I need to watch that, or whatever it is. And suddenly we don't have time and we make a contribution with God and we give him a little bit of ourselves. But you were never made to have a contribution. You were made to have total commitment. We're the pig. And it's interesting, if you think about the other animals, the cow could make a contribution or it could make total commitment. It could lay down its life for that meal. The sheep could lay down its life for a meal. The chicken could lay down its life for the meal. But none of them was willing to. They were making a contribution. You can have this much of me. You can have what is excess to me. Sometimes what is uncomfortable for me. Gee, it's quiet. And I sense that this is what God wants to do. You know, let me just... Let me flick back to some of my notes here. Have you got your Bibles there? Let's start with John chapter 15. Are we okay with this so far? Really? (laughs) What I'm saying to you is you've got to move from Savior to Lord. You've got to move from... You know, there's a time coming where there's a pressure coming on the church. And it's for a time and then that season will end and we'll step into blessing and favour. 
There's a time coming when it's going to get challenging to say, I'm a Christian. It's going to be challenging to live out your Christian life. And then there's a breakthrough. And we need to be in a position where Jesus is our Lord as well as our Savior to get through that time. But you see, when Jesus is your Lord and you're walking in him, you walk in his authority. And then it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You have the power and authority to walk through that. Nobody can harm you. Nobody can hurt you. Nobody can touch you. That doesn't mean that some won't step up and be martyrs because some people are called to be martyrs. But others are called to walk in, we need to be able to walk in the wisdom and the revelation of God that you know what's coming before it comes. That you know how to handle what's coming before it gets here. You see, if some guy comes and tries to break into my house and they walk in and, you know, they've got a shotgun, they kick down the front door, walk in with a gun and start shooting everywhere, that's probably the wrong time to think, you know what, it would be really nice to have a gun right now. You know what I mean? Oh, you're out in the street and someone picks a fight and you get yourself caught in a fight. That's the wrong time to think, you know what, maybe I should have gone to the gym and worked out a bit and, and got a bit musclier. It's a bit late then, isn't it? But that's how we treat our Christianity. We sort of walk and, and we, you know, Put God on the back burner. We, we make a contribution with God occasionally. Yeah, we read our Bible every so often and we pray, but we let everything else get in the way. And we feel like, well, I've done church, you know, on Sunday, so I've done my bit for the week. And, and we make this contribution. And then when the tough time comes, we sort of go, God, where are you? Why aren't I getting through this? And it's because we haven't built our spiritual muscles. John 15, says in verse 5, says, I am the vine, Jesus Jesus talking, I am the vine and you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. You were made to be fruitful. You were made to bear fruit. And the fruit that you bear is different to the person next to you. The common fruit that we have is that we are supposed to be reproducing. As in other Christians, not necessarily babies. That's part of it too, but you know. But we're meant to actually be winning people for Jesus. And yet most Christians don't even share their faith in a week, let alone win anyone for Jesus. People in the world wouldn't even know they were Christians. Or it's just a title, like, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Rotarian. I play football. It's just a title. It's not a way of life. And he goes on to say, for without me, you can do nothing. In other words, anything that you do without Jesus is worthless. It has no value that we can't do what we are made to do, what we are called to do, what we are created to do 
without Jesus. And it starts by abiding in him and him abiding in us. The branch attached, the vine, sorry, attached to the branch. That's total commitment. Because once that vine is attached to the branch, it relies totally and fully upon the branch for its pure existence. If it detaches, it's dead. It has no alternative. But I think we often live our lives looking at the alternatives. We take a little bit of God and and we try and get a little bit of this and a little bit of that and we try and, you know, we make our contribution and then we wonder why we don't bear fruit. We wonder why we're not effective. We wonder why we struggle. Because we're not abiding in him. The Father has grafted us onto Jesus and we're relying on the bandages when when they graft a a vine onto a branch, they wind it up in these special bandages. Sorry? No, we're the vine, here's the branches. No, here's the vine, we're the branches, sorry. You know what I'm saying. You know what I mean, you're with me. You're in Jesus, you understand. But as he puts the branches onto the vine, they, they put these bandages around them to hold it in there until the branch takes to the vine and they connect together. And then over time as they connect together and they mesh over here, it's like, it's like when um, you know, skin will grow over. If you actually you, know, you put a bit of glass and you cut your hand and you have a bit of glass sitting on the surface, eventually the skin will actually grow over that glass in your hand. Not pleasant. But it's the same thing. The vine and the branch will actually enmesh over each other until they become one. But I think too often we're sitting there with these bandages holding us on to the vine and we're sort of trying to hedge our bets and pull a bit of this and a bit of that and just take a bit of, oh, we only need this much to survive. You were never made to survive. You were made to thrive, to be fruitful. And we have to stop just taking Jesus as our saviour and drawing that nourishment and start to make him our Lord and become bondservants of his. He called us his children. And we are. But we don't walk in the authority as his children. We don't walk in the power as his children. We don't walk in the anointing and the blessing of being his children. We don't walk in that authority of being the children of the king of kings because we don't make him Lord. We're trying to live out. It's a bit like Moses, you know. He grew up in Pharaoh's court and then he had to make a choice because he realized who he was, that he was not an Egyptian prince, that he was a Hebrew. And he had to make a choice because he couldn't live as a Hebrew in the palace, having a little bit of being the prince of Egypt, a little bit of being, oh, I'm over here and I'm a Hebrew and I've got this God. He had to make a choice, a total, an absolute choice and a total and absolute sacrifice. And he had to die as the prince of Egypt so he could live as a child of God. 
and we're too often trying to be children of the world and children of God. And we're trying to live within both systems and you were never called to live within both systems. You are called to live totally and absolutely in Christ, abiding absolutely in Him and Him in you. Flick over to Ephesians chapter 1. Are we okay? Is this making sense? Are we okay with this? Or have we switched off already and going, no, I don't like that idea. Because there is a consequence to this. He says, if we don't bear fruit, he actually cuts us off. In other words, if we don't take all of him, he will cut us off. Nothing like a baby to soften a message. <laughs> You're feeling gushy and mushy now? Good, let me sock it to you some more. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. This is underlined. This is something that I pray over us as a, as a church community. It said, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Sounds nice, doesn't it? Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Where is Christ seated? In heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not in this age but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is a great passage. Here's Jesus in full authority, seated in heavenly places, everything under his feet, having full dominion, yeah? And we his body. But let's keep reading. Because there was no chapters. When this was written, it was a letter written to the Ephesians. There were no chapters. There were no verses. So it continues on, even though there's a big two there and says, hey, we're going chapter two. Ignore that. Because it continues. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So in other words, when you were dead, when you were in sin, when you did not have Jesus in your life, you walked according to the authority of Satan. Yeah? Does that make sense? Among whom once we all once conducted ourselves with the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So you walked according to what your flesh desired. The problem is, there's too many Christians still walking according to what their flesh desires. That they haven't renewed their mind, they're still letting their mind and their body determine what they do. Feelings are dominating. 
But he goes on, he says, but God. Don't you love that term? Got a whole sermon on that. But God. God's got a big but. And he likes to stick it in your way. You know that? But God, who is rich in mercy. And this is what I want you to get that line. That he's rich in mercy. Don't sit there feeling condemned. Feel convicted. Because God doesn't condemn you. He is rich in mercy. And he wants to use that mercy to help you overcome what you're facing. He's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in your sin, in your trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And what did he do then? He raised us up together and made us sit where? In heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved. You were not made to live your life down here struggling. You were not made to sort of drag yourself through the week and go, uh, uh, uh. Life is going to throw stuff at you. But you have full authority and dominion. We have that full authority. We have that full dominion. We have full revelation for every situation. The term I hear most from people is, I just want to know what God's will is. You want to know what God's will is? Then surrender to him. Because Romans chapter 12 says what? It says, I beseech you. There's a lovely word. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies. He despises mercy. Don't get condemned. Get convicted. There's a difference. Condemn means you're going to keep going through the same process. Condemn means you're looking at the sin. Convicted, you're looking at Jesus. As long as you look at your sin, as long as you look at your failings, as long as you look at your circumstances, or as they say, as long as you're looking at the storm, then you'll be overcome by your circumstances. You'll be overcome by the storm. Because what you focus on will control you. What you focus on is what you become. You focus on the fear, you become fearful. You focus on the storm, the storm controls you. There's the disciples, are in the boat, and they're going, Jesus, Jesus, because they weren't looking at him, they were looking at the storm. When you're in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the situation, in the middle of the challenge, look at Jesus. But you've got to build that. That's his mercy. So by the mercies of God, you present your bodies. Our what? Your body's important. You know why? So you can be a living sacrifice. We need to get ourselves up on the altar, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We have to get ourselves up on the altar before God and go, kill me. Kill my flesh. I surrender my flesh. I choose not to live by my feelings. And that's a big decision. Because it's easy to say, but it's hard to do, isn't it? 
when you feel like you need to hang with Jesus and there's just that awesome movie on, or something comes on TV or whatever it is, then it's a bit questionable. And we go, oh, it's all right. Because it satisfies our flesh. I just want to sleep a little bit longer. God's merciful. He'll understand. I'll spend time with him later. No, no, we start with God. You see, when you wake up in the morning, You should be, good morning, God. What do you have for me to do today? Yeah, you need to go to your job and everything else. I'm not saying blow off your work and study and everything else, whatever it is. But he's put you there as your mission field. You don't go to work to make money. God's your source, not your job. You go to work because that's the mission field he's put you in. That is your church community. That's your parish. You know, in London, in England, they used to have these parishes and you had this church and then the area around it was the parish and you had the Lord. He sort of owned all the land and everyone worked for him, essentially. And you'd have this church and a parish and you were responsible for the spiritual welfare of all the people in the area, whether they rocked up to church or not. And you are where you are because that's your parish. Your work is your parish. Whether they're rocking up to church or not, your job is to minister God to them. So it should be, okay, God, I'm heading off to my job today. What do you have me to do? Who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to say? What's your plan in my workplace today? Because, you see, you're seated in heavenly places and you're supposed to be up there governing over your workplace. You should be blessing your workplace, that they will prosper that they will make godly decisions, that they won't make decisions. You know, in one of the companies I work for, they decide they want to bring in the whole gay thing and actually teach it and promote it within the organisation. This is a lovely Christian organisation, by the way. And I'm sitting there going, you can't do this. And so there's a couple of guys I work with, one of the guys in particular who got really rolled up about this. He was a Christian and, and he started, you know, talking and having conversations and going into meetings and, and you know, he was very respectful about it, but he was pushing that way. And I'm going, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to govern. So I went to God and, and God took me into the courts over that place because we're seated in heavenly places. Our authority is heavenly, and what happens on heaven happens on earth, right? And so I went into the heavens, and I started to pray. And and, and as I was going through this, I would feed the word on it and build my faith on it. And then one day, I actually drove in the car park at work, and as I pulled in the car park, turned off the car, God took me into heaven. And I'm sitting out the front of my workplace, and I'm in the heavenlies, and I'm in the court actually making judgments. Over my workplace. And the Holy Spirit gave me words to say, and I broke the power of that thing over that workplace, and I broke the authority of the people who were bringing it in. Within 12 months, every person who had brought it in had lost their job in that place, including the CEO. And it came to the attention through all these back channels of the board that were overseeing that organisation, and they put a stop to it. And it was cut off. 
Not because we yelled and screamed and made a hullabaloo, but because we, I governed over that place because that was my mission field. That was where God had put me at that time to govern. And we need to think like that, that we are to be seated in heavenly places and take authority. You're supposed to bless your workplace. You bless that place that it may prosper, that you may be blessed through that. We've got to stop walking here on earth like it's, all the, it's the be-all and the end-all of everything. Where you live is your, is, your, is your area that you're supposed to govern. You're supposed to take authority over your home. You take authority over your street. You take authority over your suburb. This is why we're talking about the hubs and having services like this throughout the week in different places. And the idea is that you are in your place where you are, your suburb, your street, your home, and that is your church. And the idea is that you are there to reach out to the people who live around you. And you govern your area in the heavenlies and you take authority because where you are, it's like, what, what, what did Bill Winston say last week? He's saying, we've got churches on just about every corner and yet the crime rate's going up. We've got churches in every corner and more and more people are being murdered. More and more robberies are occurring. He says, the church is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's not governing by seating itself in heavenly places and taking authority. With more churches around, the crime rate should be going down because we should be taking these things to the courts. People go, I don't know what to do. All you need to do is step into heaven. How do you do that? You start by abiding in Him and making Him your Lord as well as your Savior. You don't know. If you're struggling to step into heaven, then start by making Him your Lord. And getting up each morning and going, God, what do you want me to do? You know, we're talking this, this month about hearing God's voice, but you can't hear His voice if you don't stop long enough to listen. And that's the problem with the church. We're so busy doing what we want to do, fulfilling the desires of our flesh. We've taken that God wants to bless us and prosper us, and that's true. But the context is of us abiding in Him. Because He says further on in John 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you want to be done. And we like the ask whatever you want. We're not so sure about the abiding. Because when we abide in Him, we put aside our every right, our every fleshy desire. And we say, I live for you, whatever that costs. That we're not just making a contribution, we're making a commitment. And when you get to that point, He will speak to you and He will tell you how to have authority in your workplace. He will tell you how to have authority over your suburb so that you'll have a hub there in no time because people will be coming to you. There was a house... I can't remember where I was. And, um, they were sitting there and they were praying and they are praying. They kept holding prayer meetings and seeking, seeking into God, saying, God, we really want you. And they're praying and they made him the Lord of their life and they renounced their sin and they're pushing into him. And as they did that more and more, and um, they got a revelation, the lady in the home, because her husband was a slacker. He, he wouldn't work. And there was discord in the house and he wasn't saved and her kids were just running wild and her daughter was off doing you know, everything and, and she's just going, God, she's crying out. And she, she starts to abide in him and he says, I want you to get people to come and pray in your house. And so she rang up a friend of hers and said, look, God's told me to get people to come pray in my house. And so they rounded up 100 people to come and pray in that house. It was only a small house. 
And they came in, she said, they were crammed in everywhere. Man, they were in the toilets and everything. And they prayed for one hour in tongues. Everybody just standing in the house, praying and praying. Within one week, the husband got saved, fell on his knees before God in total absolute repentance and went out and got himself a job. His daughter got, her daughter got saved. Totally turned her life around from being a teenage rebel who was the local, mostly local prostitute almost, to being totally on fire for God in a high school. Because she chose to abide. You see, God has a way and a strategy. You don't have to get 100 people to come into your house and pray. You can be that person. Get one other person that says two can put 1,000 to flight. Three, 10,000. Bill Winston tells a story of um, a lady came and she said, they're drug dealing on my street. Down the local park at the end of my street, they've got drug dealers there. They're there day and night. They're dealing. She said, we've tried everything. We can't get rid of them. They're just there and it's just destroying the neighborhood and stressing out. And so he said that we went into the heavenlies and we started praying. And we're up there talking with God. And, and he says, he gave us a strategy. We went in the kitchen and grabbed a bottle of oil and came out. And they laid hands on that oil. And they said to the lady, take this oil and pour it from one end of your street to the other. She says, as you do, it's going to bring the presence, the anointing of God into your area. See, she had a godly strategy. It didn't make sense in the mind, but God knew what they're doing. And so she gets out there and she gets this bottle and she walks this one end of the street to the other, just pouring this oil out, dropping it all the way along. She says, the next day, the drug dealers came out. They stayed for one hour in the park and went. They haven't seen them since. You've got to get what God wants to do. We've got to take authority in our workplace. We've got to take authority in our home life. But until you do that, you are going to struggle with your flesh. You are going to struggle with where you are. You have to lay down your desires and your plans and abide in Him. It starts by abiding in Him. You can't be a passive Christian. Because there is a time coming when the pressure is going to come on your life. It's going to come on all of us. The pressure is going to, and we have to be able to pull things out of heaven to deal with them. And a lot of the church is going to struggle. And some of the church is not going to survive. Because it's not in a place where it's engaging heaven. Because Jesus is not the Lord. He's just Savior. He's a convenience. It starts now. That's why we do the hubs. The idea of the hubs is that we spread the church throughout every street, throughout every suburb, throughout the whole city, throughout the whole state. That's why my desire is for you to have a church hub in your house. Because that means that then you are governing over your area. That you have had a win and that people have been saved and you're now pastoring them, looking after them. Because that's your mission field. Where you live, where you work is your mission field. This street is my mission field. This suburb is my mission field. And as the pastor, I get the city as well. But it's a big city. I need your help. I need you to be governing where you are. You don't have to take on the whole city. Just take on your street. Start with your house. You got trouble in your house? Take authority over your house. You start by saying, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do when you get up in the morning? What's your plan for me today? He says, my sheep know my voice. 
It says that we enter in and out of the fold through him. That means we step into heaven and out of heaven through him. God, what do you want me to do? How can I reach my street? Give me a revelation what I can do today. Can I take someone something to eat? Can I, is there a need that I can meet? Is it just I walk my street praying? What do you want me to do today? We need to turn off our old life and turn on Jesus. We need to stop trying to jump off the vine and be a branch that runs around and connects into all this stuff and trying to make things happen. You see, you were never supposed to be the source of your supply. Your job was never supposed to be the source of your supply. You were never supposed to make your needs happen. That's not your job. That's God's job. He says what you have to do in Matthew. You have to seek him first. And his righteousness, his way of living, his way of doing things. If you aren't doing things God's way, then you're not walking in righteousness. Do you know that? Because righteousness is a way of life. It's choosing to live as God would live your life. Your job is to seek him and do what he tells you to do. His job is to take care of all your needs. According to his riches and glory which is more than what you can handle. So we've got to stop focusing on our needs and start focusing on Him. Stop focusing on what you think should happen and start focusing on what He wants to do. Start seeing yourself as a mission field to your home, to your street, to your suburb, to your workplace. He said to Joshua, every place you put your foot, I've given it to you. But Joshua had to fight for it. He had to follow what God had, and God had a divine strategy for him to take every city. He had to listen to God, and then he could step into it. God has a divine strategy for you to take your suburb. He's a divine strategy for you to take your workplace. He has a divine strategy for you to see your family saved. He has a divine strategy for you to see your friends saved. It's time we stepped into what he has to do. This is a year of breakthrough. This is a year of prosperity. This is a year of God's abundance poured out. But we have to step into his plan and do it his way, not our way. If you sit back, it is not going to happen. We have to do the first part of the command, to seek him first and his righteousness, his way of living. And then he will add. Yeah? I challenge you. Don't get condemned over it. Don't think, oh, all the things I've done wrong. Just cast them off. Stop trying to get attached to them. Tell your flesh to get behind and get in line with your spirit because your spirit's connected to his spirit. Your spirit knows what to do. You need to learn how to hear your spirit because his spirit, the Holy Spirit, communicates to your spirit. That's what sounds like you often when God speaks. That or Morgan Freeman. But it sounds like you. Because his spirit, the Holy Spirit, communicates with your spirit. And so you know down in here what it is you're supposed to do. And so you do that. He says, my sheep know his voice. If you're struggling to know his voice, take time to listen. You'll work it out. You'll make mistakes. That's okay. 
He's a merciful God. He's a loving God. There must be someone, they say, who has succeeded greatly and someone who's just starting out as a whole lot of failure. Do you know that? There must be someone who's succeeded greatly and someone who's just starting out as a whole lot of failure. You see, you learn when you mess it up, don't you? You learn when, you, when, you, when it doesn't work out for you. So learn. Allow yourself to get it wrong because God allows you to get it wrong. That's why he's merciful. That's why he says to boldly approach the throne of grace that you may receive mercy. In other words, walk in the heavenlies. Learn how to engage with God in heaven, not here on earth by your flesh, but in heaven by your spirit. Take time just to sit with him and say, teach me, Lord. I don't know how to do this. Teach me. And he will. And he will teach you how to govern. He will teach you how to have authority. And you'll walk in more power and authority than you thought was possible. Because you become his child when you do that. When you take him as Lord, you become his child. And then you walk in that authority as a prince of heaven. Yeah? Let's pray. I've just been feeling, um, as Philip speaking, that uh, there's some people that are really feeling convicted. Like they, they uh, really feel like God is speaking to them saying, I, I, want, I need you to do this. And, uh, and I just felt like even if that means that you do it right now, like there's some things that you know that you've been putting off or not doing, and even if it means that you do it right now, that to do it, and, um, yeah, I just felt to encourage you that that's God. That's God talking to you, going, do this. Just step out and do it, even if it means you do it right now in front of everybody. I know that's kind of putting it out there, but I really feel the Holy Spirit going, just do it now, even if it means doing it right now, because you know, you know that God is speaking and you've been holding back and finding every reason you can not to. And God's God's. He wants to be your Lord as well as your Saviour because, yeah, he wants you to have it all. But there's also there's a cost to it. It's to obey. Just because I talk. I, hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, okay. Um, doesn't, just because I talk a lot doesn't make it. I, everyone think that it's easy because um, sometimes when I do crazy stuff, I like. I try not to think about anybody in the room. I try to think about what God is asking me to do because He says, "If you can't do it in front of these people here, your family, how can, how are you going to do it out there?" So um, yeah, He just um, sometimes He just asks me to speak or asks me to step up and do stuff, and and uh, I just want you to know that oh, that's easy for her. No. <laughs> No, it's not. It's it's just that I want to surrender to him and I want to do everything that he wants me to do. And sometimes I know, well, I don't know, I know, but I kind of feel that sometimes that people think, oh, she's a bit loopy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But um, there's something else I really wanted to t- talk about is that, I don't know, I'm going to just open up and tell you about this because I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but I just want to start the conversation is that the beginning of the year I decided that I was going to be my analytical self 
and I'm going to itemise every single dollar that I spend. And um, so I went into all of my accounts and I, I keep a very – I started keeping track of everything. You know, like I spent $10 here and I bought a coffee and I spent $20 on a piece of clothing and blah, blah, blah. And as Phil was talking, I, I don't know, I just feel that God's saying that, why are you doing that? Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't, I'm not saying that that's for you, don't don't keep it control, but as long as I've done what he's asked me to do last year, because over a number of years God's given me, um, um, taught me about finances actually. Um, I thought I was pretty good back when I was uh, in the world and um, I thought I was pretty great actually. <laughs> but it turns out that I didn't do it the way he wanted me to do it and he would just say, do this, put the money here, um, I want you to take $250 a fortnight and put it away in a holiday account and then I'd have a big argument with him about saying, I can't afford that and that's not, I, I don't have that and I can't do that. So after struggling, he would get me to do it. But I just want to um, put it out there and maybe that's for myself um, that I feel that I've, although... I think that's the right thing to account for every dollar you spend. Maybe he's saying to me, I don't want you to do that. And um, I just want to, sometimes what we think is a good thing is not sometimes a good thing. But please don't think that that is for you in the sense that, you know, you don't budget your money. He's just showed me a different way of doing it and I've decided to take control of it and watch every dollar. So that when it's time to give, I'm, I'm sort of like, well, I don't have $5 because I'm saving up for a security door. I'm saving up for this. Uh, I don't know. I just wanted to share that. I just wanted to talk as a family and talk out loud. Father, we bless you. We thank you that you are merciful, that you are gracious. We thank you that you are our saviour and that you have redeemed us. Teach us to make you our Lord and to surrender ourselves totally and absolutely to you. To live by our spirit, not by our flesh. That we may know your good, pleasing and perfect will. That you be glorified through us. That we are fruitful. Lord, we bless you. Lord, I bless every person here in Jesus' name. Amen.